1: And those relaxing
0: vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane, back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.
1: Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
2: Welcome to the Nerdist
0: Podcast number 814. What do you have on your... Uh, uh, I
2: got two things. So first of all, I want to promote somebody. Uh, I got this email. Uh, hey, I saw uh, this on Reddit that there's an email for email at event- events at nerdist.com. Uh, where do I put my events? Well, Chris Tisdale, you found it. <laughs> so he, he, he emailed, he emailed the email he to ask where to email. and said, where do I
0: I've email events? I've never put that
2: much effort into anything. <laughs> Well, Chris, you found the place. You sure
0: did. So now we just promoted your thing. Yeah. <laughs> your thing was the email you sent.
2: Uh, I have uh, wanted to throw out, I've been uh, producing the Jackie and Laurie show on Nerdist Network. Yes. And I think it might be one of the best. If you're a comedian and you're not listening to the Jackie and Laurie show, you're fucking up stand-up. Because it is amazing. It is two people with 60 years worth of stand-up experience between the two of them talking about stuff. And they just got their own Twitter account to be able to interact with people. It's Jackie at Jackie and Laurie. And hit them up because, my God, like it's been really neat to watch that podcast grow and become like a cool thing that's both an amazing resource and also a very unique perspective in stand-up to listen to. And so I recommend it heartily. Thank you, Kyle. And I would also recommend uh, the podcast, What Did You Learn?, it is a little independent podcast by Monica Scott, who is a producer around town. She's worked on a million shows. It's her and Luke Jensen, and they watch a documentary every week and figure out uh, what can they glean from these things. What types of documentaries? To... Any... Oh, they've gone everywhere. Uh, I did The American Scream on it about the home haunters. They have yep. a great one on the Thin Blue Line. They have a really great one on Zeitgeist, where it's just this crazy breakdown of like conspiracy theories as a part of like national consciousness. Phenomenal show. Great. So right, those, right, are, right. those are the little things out in the corkboard world. Thank you very much, Kyle, for bringing us the Community Corkboard. We'll, we'll put K's on that yeah, for Kyle. Let's not do that because it's Kyle's Community Corkboard at some point there, and we don't want oh, that yeah, at all. No, no, we no, don't no, want we that do, to no, at all accidentally. No, no. Let's keep them nice and sea-like. <laughs> <laughs> Let's. Uh, you don't need those hard consonants to be that well defined. C for Chris. Yeah. C for Chris. Not K for Kyle or Katie. No. 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 no definitely no. not. C for we Chris. The K's are full for this show. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Two's the limit. No room for a third. <laughs> Just uh, catch the next bus.
0: Yeah. Third K. <laughs> catch the next one. Uh, this episode is Dana Carvey,
2: who was
0: fucking awesome god he was great
2: he just I just kept looking at him going you're Dana Carvey well and like, we're if you're listening to these hot and fresh out of the oven yeah then you should come to Meltdown tonight for yeah. a real special show called Beta Test yeah we're doing
0: Beta Test it's a new material show tonight myself uh, uh, Nikki Glaser is going to be on the show, and Dana Carvey. Now, that. normally, I, do, I, I don't give out the guests because I, I want the I want people just to come to see the show and not have it be contingent upon who's there. There's always a
2: you're all the attraction they need. Fun, Chris. That's
0: not true. They're just delicious, hilarious <laughs> icing. <laughs> but Dana's, Dana is pretty extra Both special, and uh, and he's promoting the Secret Life of Pets that is in theaters July eighth. You should absolutely go see it. Uh, other folks are in that movie you like, Just you might know. What if,
2: what if comedians were dogs is the original title of that movie. What if Louis C.K. was in an animated <laughs> dog movie? Uh, so uh, there's that, too.
0: So Dana Carvey, Secret Life of Pets, July 8th. Number 814 with Mr. Dana Carvey. Katie, would you be so kind?
3: Now entering
4: Nerdist.com.
5: I feel like we're kind of doppelangers. What, what's your background?
0: Scottish? Uh, it, Norwegian? It, it, it is an Anglo-mutt. Yeah. Con- yeah, it's it's largely um, Scottish and Northern English on my dad's side. Scottish,
5: I've got a McDonald. Um, Carvey is from County Sligo, Irish. And then I've got a lot of Scandinavian. Yeah, it's...
0: Norwegian, It's, it's uh, Hardwick and McCrory was right. the, was that, that genetic soup. Yeah. But then my mom's... Italian and her mother was half Indian and Native American. Interesting. Have you got so. a
3: 23 Me? Have you spit in a tube yet?
0: No, I've not spit in a tube yet. I'm really, I don't I know. I did it.
3: A lot of fun. What'd you find out? Uh, I found out I'm, uh, I've got some uh, Native American. Yep. I've got uh, 9% cool. West African. What? Yeah. Uh, and then the rest of it is a spanish portuguese italian
0: yeah there it is i see So it. this way
5: is that is that accurate do you believe in that i mean is it accurate <laughs> yeah, I, I mean it's, it's pretty accurate
3: pr- my wife mm-hmm. also did it uh she is 98.8 percent ashkenazi jew
5: <laughs> <laughs> this is this was your dream Askenazi? Ashkenazi? i didn't even know there was that many what, what are what's an Ashkenazi? Yeah, i'm
3: sorry it's I'm like a, a i assume it's the northern oh, okay the northern Jews. You know, this
0: is very exciting for Matt, because what you don't know about Matt is that Matt all, Matt tried to convert to Judaism as a child because thought he thought he, to be in comedy, you had to be Jewish. Mm. So he legit tried to convert. Yeah, my mother From got me what? The book. From what? Catholic? From Catholicism, yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? Found out it yeah. was too much work. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Gave up on it, and then just married a super Jewish lady.
5: I like Judaism myself. I yeah. was raised Lutheran, which uh-huh. is very, you know. Yeah. No one really believed, even the pastor. <laughs> you know I mean? It was very light. Maybe it's true. You know, but I mean,
3: it's, uh, you know. Every, every sermon was delivered yeah. with a wink. Yeah.
5: <laughs> uh, even our hymns were agnostic. This is a bit. <laughs> Jesus, son of God, or
4: just a nice guy. <laughs>
5: I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't want to do stick <laughs> No, please, stick it up. So do you what
4: do you do? Okay, let me do Donald Trump. Are
5: we, are we on the podcast? It's happening okay, okay, already.
4: Let me tell you something. I just do him very feminine. I don't know why.
5: I had to pick an angle.
4: <laughs> you know, just a little bit of moisture. There's, just a, there's a very, very touchy kind of. Then he's up here. People say, I don't like China. I love China. I love China. He's really more yelling on
5: top now, if you see him, right?
4: Yeah, these people are crazy. These people are nuts. He's up there a lot. You know? And well, then you he's Regis. and he's very outrageous. Oh, so let me tell you something. <laughs> and couldn't take the heat. I'm ready to go. <laughs> So what? I don't use the Grecian formula like on television? I heard I'm Reed like just, Santa Claus on top. I heard
0: okay. Regis get very angry once, and it was very upset. It was very Ooh. off-putting. He, uh, a friend of mine was working on Millionaire, and so I went to a taping, and his mic was on at a commercial break, and I don't know what he was angry about, but his mic was still on, and I just heard, let's just do the fucking thing! And, it's like, <laughs> and it went out over the whole... And then just instantly, like, his mic cut out, and there was that... There was that moment oh, yeah. in a room where you can just, you know, it's like everything, all the air just got sucked out for a second. But they never, obviously they didn't, they didn't address it. I was
5: it. on one of those shows. I, I felt the tension. For me.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's like that Casey
5: Kasem one where he went, oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. which is the classic. ultimate. But me just the... being
4: mad at you. would be very intense. What the fuck is your problem? You understand? <laughs> the key to him is just kind of holding your nose, I guess. Isn't it? <laughs> it's such a classic voice, isn't it? His it's... voice. Yeah, his voice, yeah. too.
5: Uh, it, it, it's it's kind of like a vaudevillian. It's sort of like Groucho Marx slowed down a if little you- bit.
4: Pick a single one divide a among you Pick a second one divide a yeah. among you I feel you like that's was what I'm talking It's
0: very classic I feel like there was a, there, there, there was the, kind of That old idea of like If you're going to be A broadcaster You have to be able To talk like this <laughs> You <laughs> that's know, that's like, With the little a little rod There's a little bit Of this in there And you need to Enunciate your words
4: Yeah you know. and it's kind of funny When you talk like yeah, this Yeah it's right? funny Because I referred like to it once. When I was talking to Michael Well the character The character of reading It's very interesting You say that We talk to him But he's <laughs> like his character You know I put all you know, I'm, I'm sad Everybody's mad at me and this kind of thing anybody could do him all day long i'd mean, well, much know, rather be him than it me. actually
0: underscores this much bigger idea that your impersonations which sort of became almost bigger than the people that you were in that you were char- characterizing they it wasn't even that they always sounded exactly like the person but you were able to extract some essential quality of that person thank you and that made
3: it more than if it was like a, you know... Oh, it became the zeitgeist, so then everybody was doing, doing not the Carson. Imp- they, were doing they were doing Dana Carvey's version of exactly. Carson, I am Well,
5: I'm d- I don't have the gifts of, like, Frank Caliendo. Some of it was a little bit of fakery. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, uh, here's one thing I do that I'm, I was surprised to try to get to the essence of Trump, since this is sure. Nerdcast. um uh, a nerdus, whatever it's called. <laughs> anyway, uh, Trump is is like a Batman villain to me because you know it's Trump on his his <laughs> helicopter, his airplane, the giant orange mm-hmm. head. Yeah, I'm gonna say he's like a video game character. Like if he's president, his head will get bigger and yeah. orangier <laughs> yeah. as he gets more power. Yes, I agree. But this is Trump as
4: a Batman villain. Trump, you'll never get a- oh, wait, you'll never get away with this, Trump you know, I think I will,
5: okay? (laughs) And then they never get this part
4: of it. He goes, you know why? From now on, you can call me Trump card.
5: <laughs> now you're the only guy's ever laughed at that. Every time I go that that's his name, his moniker, Trump Card. It plays the silence. Well, you
0: because you, uh, number one, you have to you have to understand what the old uh, Batman, structure of the Batman yeah. villain is it's like. has gotta Fro- have a character Freeze, he's gotta, yeah. It's yeah. gotta have the pun on the name. And so the people that you've been telling that joke to, they're fucking wrong.
5: Yeah. They're Can I, I do like a? Here's a current Johnny Carson thing I do oh, just please. to amuse my friends. So this is just. Johnny Carson being pulled over on the PCH and admitting where he was drinking, the name of the
4: establishment, and the name of the drink, and that's all you need to know. Well, I'm sorry, officer, I didn't know I was swerving. I had two uh, slippery midgets at the Hook and crook <laughs> Right? What is better than that? Like that's all I need in life. Let him go. Let him go. That's it. I had two uh, frozen soldiers at the Windy Summit. <laughs>
5: Just the, I don't know, the drinks
2: and the... It's great that you, it's
0: interesting that you brought that up, because I was just watching a video today, someone on, um, ugh, I can't remember which site it was, but it was uh, it was the, the time that uh, Johnny Carson kind of bombed famously in 1991, Morrissey mm. was a guest, and Bill Cosby was also on. Which, I was reading that. You yeah. read that article? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Morrissey was so super famous in this – in this super famous <clears throat> underground to the extent where he could sell out arenas. He was selling out the forum. He was mm-hmm. selling out these arenas. But he got no airplay and the general public had no idea who he was. So you had Bill Cosby and Bo Bridges on and Carson didn't realize that – all Morrissey fans filled his audience, so they just didn't want yeah, he totally a shred won. of Carson. <laughs> yeah, and it's ninety-one, so he's about to leave anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and just the resignation of him, like giving up to the audience and bombing and trying to make himself laugh, and it's it was really interesting to see yeah. him squirm that far that far into his, his career. Yeah, it was interesting.
5: Once I was on there, uh, sitting next to Johnny, I guess I was the first guest out. This I only went on maybe six times. And Kennison went out and started going off, like off script.
4: And Johnny, I could hear him under his breath going, oh, sham, don't sham, don't do the sham. <laughs> <laughs> it was so interesting, right? So emotional. Did you ever hang
5: out with him?
0: With Sam? Like, no, no, with uh, – the with, uh, well, with Sam, with yep, Johnny, with Johnny, yeah, Johnny. I
5: was terrified. I would say two things terrified me the most in my career – uh, besides auditioning for SNL. But the first time I was on, in a, 8H and Lovitz, who was already on the show and was a big star, <laughs> so can, uh, the liar, you know. And Don Pardo was there and he goes, Say Dana's name. This was before I was on the show. Dana, call me. And that was just like, but, but I would say uh, being behind that curtain and hearing that
4: voice. Um, a gentleman joins us. I'll never forget. He has uh, had a bit of success uh, on Saturday Night Live with a character called the Churchley. <laughs> will, will you please welcome uh, Dana, Dana Garneau? <laughs> So I was always just too
5: frightened to even. Once that giant Carson head was that close to me, and I could see all the booze and cigarettes and sun damage,
0: (laughs) I was completely. Did he ever acknowledge.
5: No, it was pre 4K. It was just, you know, it was very blurry television. No, but did he acknowledge your version of him? Oh, totally. Well, I would go on, you know, I would go on and do it for him a little bit, and he would laugh. And he was okay. Like he loved Carcinio. We did one yeah, where I it combined. Carcinio, yes, and I did a benefit with Arcinio the other night. We were <laughs> talking about that, and he liked
4: that. He apparently said, "Well, they're making fun of Arcinio and me, so sure, it's fine." You know,
5: <laughs> but then there was one that we did that did kind of like it, that was sort of it. I wasn't asked back. Really? What was it? There was one where well, Smigel had written it. It was sort of that. Susan Day was on, and Johnny didn't know the Partridge
4: Family was off. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> it's a delightful show, and then he, uh, and then Chris Chris Rock came out as I think Arsenio, and then Johnny was saying, "So your ratings have gone up, and ours have gone down." Isn't that right? So it was just he was a little senile, and I remember thinking this one might have crossed the line, and um, but I, I
0: let myself just talked it, into it. It was probably the thing about ratings because he obviously I think he had probably uh, uh, an incredible ego about that stuff. I mean, just hearing the Joan Rivers things about yeah, once she did that on the show, he never spoke to her again. I mean, he obviously... And any of the stuff that I've read or seen about him, he, he obviously... There was obviously some darkness swimming around in there. Like you didn't. Well, going back full circle real quickly, when I,
5: Regis told me a long story, but long story short, he went over there and he was at Johnny's studio. He did the show, and
4: then afterwards, he was joking around. They go, Johnny likes you. You should come for dinner. So this is Regis telling me. So Johnny likes me. We're gonna have a little bit of friends now, right? Uh. <laughs> so they're somewhere in Santa Monica or
5: some restaurant, and Regis. His rental car he gets lost. He even had one of those giant
4: phones in it, a brick phone. I can't, where the hell am I? Where's the 405? You understand? <laughs> and so he came late, and he's, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And Carson just didn't, didn't acknowledge him the whole time. And then when they're, they're getting the valet in the car, he just goes, yeah, it was, uh, uh, you know, I, I couldn't fight. I, I was lost. You know. And Carson just goes, you're, you know, um, you're a funny guy. You're a funny guy.
0: That was it. That was it. That was it. He was late to the dinner. Oh shit! Yeah, there is. I think that is. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. I think there's probably like a. a the, he probably lived by some old weird, yeah. like me, alpha male code. Oh, totally. From the fifties and sixties, it was just you. Could, there were certain lines you and if I'm you crossed them. That was it. Going to
3: adopt that. <laughs> you don't want to <laughs> I, adopt
5: that. Uh, a woman who was a physical fitness trainer for my wife and I in the nineties. She she dated Johnny. In the 80s, when he was maybe in between marriages, and Mm -hmm. he was 55, and she was 25, and her nickname was The Body. (laughs) She was 40 then, but she looked amazing. And so I put her in touch with Bill Zemi, who's still finishing up the uh, Carson the Magnificent, or some giant opus on Johnny. Anyway— you wouldn't want to hear about that. We want to hear every
2: <laughs> detail. <laughs> every this is thing. a
5: lot. To, there's a secret life of pets person over there. <laughs> we'll um, get to it. We'll get to it. Jimmy um, was, uh,
0: anyway. He was like that. So well, uh, <laughs> it, it, I I think the first time I I remember becoming aware of you, obviously because of SNL. But then you were you were in a movie called Tough Guys that uh, with the yeah. Burt Lancaster and uh, yeah. and Kirk Douglas. Can you believe it? And but you played a totally straight. You were were sort of like they were the. Well, I just auditioned, and then freakily
5: they said they wanted me to do it because I would go for a hundred auditions, right? And I would go in a room and see boyish-looking guys with weak chins. You know, when you're auditioning (laughs) for a movie, you see what you look like when you go in. But actually, I went up against Matthew Broderick for War Games. We were the final two guys (gasps) testing. I tested for risky – when I was 26, I looked 18, so I could read for all those parts. But I got the part, and then I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if my character – because my character is their parole officer. Yeah. They get out of prison after thir- – that I worship them, and I start sounding and talking and dressing like them. So that was the idea, and then the director, Jeff Canoe ran it by uh, Disney, and they go, no, we just wanted to play it sweet and Oh,
0: Jeff Canoe directed Revenge of the Nerds.
5: Yes. Yeah. And he because well, I have two weird connections around Jeff Cano were you in that movie? No, oh, I just <laughs> was a fan of it. <laughs> okay. Two Jeff Canoe things. I go to New York in nineteen eighty to do my first show with Mickey Rooney and Nathan Lane. Yes. Okay. So that's a whole weird thing, and I'm in Rockefeller Center, and I'm again playing the straight man because I always played the straight man. <laughs> you know, Rick, Mickey Rooney the first day goes, "You're the straight man," right at the reader, <laughs> and he had a 38 revolver. He carried a loaded weapon sure, with him and not? would put it on the table. <laughs> I was the number one
4: star in the
5: world. You hear me, bang the world, and that's exactly how we said it hundreds of times every day. I was the number one star in the world. You hear me, bang? <laughs> Just in case you forgot, the world. So uh, SNL was upstairs, and I would go up and watch Piscopo and Eddie Murphy rehearse and stuff, and, um, and thinking, oh, God, could I be up there rather than stuck in this thing? Mm-hmm. And um, I rented an apartment, and they said, uh, Robert Redford edited ordinary people in this apartment. <gasps> I go, well, <sighs> what do you mean? Well, that's impossible. So I found out later. I met Jeff Canoe. He. Was the editor on ordinary people with Redford? So I oh, go, wow. where did you, where did you edit that? Well, this he rented this funny little apartment on Lexington in Manhattan. So, oh, that's crazy! That's I didn't first. know Jeff Canoe was like. That's, that's just- the first one. And then Robin Williams called me up. Jeff Canoe was attached to Dead Poets Society, mm-hmm. so Robin called me up. Uh, hello, It's a some God rest his soul. But um, I, you know, I know you did a thing with Jeff Canoe. You know, tough guys. What do you think? So I, I said, well, I think you know, I don't know. I, I just kind of hedged on that one. So he waited, and then. Um, Peter Weir picked it up. Right. So,
0: And then that worked out okay. Everybody was happy. Everyone was happy. But I like Jeff Cano. Yeah. But you, oh. uh, uh, you you, were <clears> – <throat> I went to UCLA, and I was the, the president of what was a small group of people that were the comedy club. Like we would write stand-up <laughs> once mm-hmm. a week. And you came and spoke at Ackerman Union, which is our big ballroom. Uh, and hmm. – and I remember getting up and, and terrified, I was like, would you ever do a stand-up show? And you you had such a great – I mean, the answer was no, but it was such a brilliant way. You were like, well, you know, I just got to be careful. I can't – if someone just gets up and says, hey, come be in a show, I might end up in the back of a van. And you kind of acted out this whole thing, which which gorgeously mm-hmm. kind of got you out of it gracefully. But what a horrible and then Hand I out and out of his van for years, <laughs> for years, like and then when I got older and I started working, I'm like, well, yes, yeah, of course. If I just get up and go, hey, come do a show, you're not going to go. Uh, Everyone, I'll be right back, and then you walk off stage and do the show. Yeah, you
5: get into that mode of being sort of just. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I can not or whatever. Right, it is sort of. I mean, you must have people requesting. All the time. Oh, all the time.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Can
5: Chris come there? Could he? We just yeah, really I mean, love lots, it if he a could. Stop
3: requests. Well, it never could gets he? to Chris. It doesn't really no, get to you. Have can't. a layer of people. He's Got a couple layers you got to get through. Mm, interesting. Not, Peel back not, the not, onion, It's Chris. not Matt. You're inventing a mythos that <laughs> <which> is not <laughs> accurate in any way. They're robots. He has robots.
0: I love it. But I always, yeah, go ahead. I always loved it. Uh, I don't know. It just always seems like oh, when you see people. I think one of the reasons why is that you always seemed very approachable and likable. So did you but I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. Um about you or about me. About me. About you. I always think that's I think you um, are like one of those guys are like and I and I wonder if does that was, does that ever kind of <clears throat> was it ever almost kinda of weird for you because people feel so familiar with you? That they come up and obviously, I'm sure the do this character, do that. No, come on, do it, come on. You know, like uh, how, do you, how yeah. do you navigate the I, familiarity that people have? I try them? in a given moment. If I'm cranky,
5: I mean, for the George Bush Senior, I have the the running joke. Will you do George Bush Senior? And I go, not gonna do it. <laughs> so they go, oh my
2: god, and you, did it, and you get yeah. out of
0: it too.
5: My basic nature being. the Five kids. For whatever reason, um, there was a lot of violence and stuff in my childhood, so I I like things calm. I don't really like confrontation. Uh, Very passive-aggressive, people-pleaser, but I'm aware of that, so I'm not so much anymore. Right. But when I first started getting some some fame, I was exhausted uh, walking around New York and Uh. doing—and interacting, and everyone wanted to have a little story with me, and— you know, by the time I got back to my apartment, I was exhausted. I mean, to me, for me personally, fame was not easy. It was very uh, uh, distortive, like five kids. Uh, three older brothers Younger sister So my mom had the pictures On the fridge Of all the kids And then as I got more famous To come home for Thanksgiving There'd just be more And more pictures of me And the other ones Would be taken off <laughs> so, Rightfully so I know Well that made me happy That's the good part Of the story I wanted to dominate <laughs> yeah. Dominate that Sears Point A little
0: wherever. bit of room Over here I noticed you yeah. couldn't put, a, put one extra picture Down there or it was, uh... Yeah
5: but you know um, Yeah I guess I'm approachable I don't know Maybe I'm a nice g- I, I always feel like I'm a Mean guy underneath and a nice guy on top. And Dennis Miller, they think is mean on top, but he's really nice inside. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, really
5: thanks, no- Carvey. Laying me out at the nerd podcast. <laughs> What's the Hardwick kid like, huh? Heard he did some stand-up at the La Brea improv, huh? Who was the middle? Bill Nicknick? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Christ Podcast Carvic. Christ, there's no money in it. Get on a real network.
3: Bill McMick. As soon as start
5: getting into Dennis. My vocabulary increases when I do Dennis. You can't and and, and they're nonsensical words to even to Dennis. He when you talk to him, yeah, he has a Rolodex in his brain. He absolutely is ridiculous with the <laughs> w- wordsmith and wordplay. Just crazy. And you get into that mode and everything is to that sausage factory of kind of critical. Okay, good. Darth Vader uh, wallpaper, huh? Okay, got the street kid with the nerds. Okay, good luck at Comic-Con.
0: It's all rhythm. It's all it's a rhythm. It's yeah, it almost doesn't matter doesn't matter what, doesn't he matter what he's yeah.
5: saying. I'll be at doral, okay? <laughs> you know, it doesn't. What, what do you mean? Or, what, what's doral? It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's all this superiority. He's already
0: walking away. I don't even know. I didn't even get to question it. But
5: he and I flying together
0: a lot from
5: from New York back to L.A. It was just because we were both just terrified. Totally paranoid flyers uh-huh. So it was a very much running gags Of like, Carvey, you see anything I want to be the first to know <laughs> It's like we we're on a military mission If you <laughs> see something, say something yes,
0: Exactly
5: <laughs> And this big thing that Dennis would always do This cliche from war movies You're on, without a doubt The raggediest bunch of losers Laziest bunch of know-nothings I've ever had the pleasure to command. <laughs> yeah. And that was our running gag. <laughs> which I love, you know. He is funny. He is funny.
0: I, was a, I wasn't that long ago, I watched, because uh, I watched all the young comedians, I watched every stand up comedy, everything, when there was the comedy boom. Mm-hmm. And you had hosted one of the, the young comedian specials, which I, I think remember. maybe like, I think Ray Romano might have been on the he one. He was. And Judd. Judd Ray and uh, and Jeanne uh, Garafalo, Jeanne um, and yeah. uh, Kindler, I think Kindler was on it, and Bill yeah. Bellamy, maybe. I'm, I'm gonna throw him down. in, yeah. No, let's throw
5: him in there. I like I've known so many people that are net worth between one and four hundred million. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that I knew them when they had a ham sandwich. I mean, you know, Will Ferrell. Yeah. You just add them up. I mean, it is extraordinary. The amount of people I know that are between 100 million net and 400 million, because I'm a detail person. In my head, I'm thinking, "Mm, I'm giving you 40. You You're giving me 40? I'm giving you 40 million net.
0: Me poor person. I
5: don't know. It seems I got an empire. I have no. He's doing all right.
0: It's th- things are.
5: G- I'm giving you three million. dollars <laughs> <laughs> Very generous, thank you, Dana. <laughs> but anyway, everyone goes on celebrity worth. We could
0: look you up, but you know, I don't even not. know. Oh yeah, I know. No, I don't want to look it up. I don't want to know because if it's low, I'll be like, oh, that's all I. And if it's too high, I'll be like, oh my god, I have a lot of. When well, well, I hear you know
5: Seinfeld at 800 million net, I'm thinking, well, well, then did he make two and a half billion? I mean, I'm not a hedge fund guy. I mean. Yeah, you keep about thirty-five percent. Yes. I mean, how do you get to a billion? Oh,
0: if you're lucky. Yeah, if you want to make a shit ton of money, you have to make a fuck ton of money, like because so many of uh, pieces of it go to others. Which
5: people. is which is fine, totally fine. Not
0: complaining, but yeah. it,
5: but you just want to be realistic. If you hear someone makes million dollars, you know they're making four hundred if right. they're lucky, which is a credible amount of money. Yeah, but to get eight hundred million net, did Jerry make two and a half billion? He got
3: a billion gross first syndication deal of Seinfeld. But gross or net?
5: <laughs> <That> was- <laughs> I could talk about this all day. I'm into finance.
3: People skimming then, off the top. So there. he's netting but 400. Another, but then there was another syndication deal after that one expired. Oh yeah, was like 2.1. But billion. then all that
0: money is probably in just crazy investment funds that that just yeah. I mean, it's like you know, when Bill. From the time Bill Gates left Microsoft, right, was actually where he's made the majority of his wealth. I mean, he went from a net worth of probably yeah. somewhere around 10 billion to like 80 from the time he left because he was just investing all that money and stuff. I know.
5: That's the way capitalism works. That's
3: the way it all That's works. That's the way it works. It Jerry just ramps up. In uh, small bills in the glove compartment of Porsches. <laughs>
5: that are, <laughs> They're just that are hidden hanger. around the <laughs> <kind of laughs> hangar. They're just, <laughs> hidden over, yeah. just hidden around the And he, around
3: he only tells Jay Leno where the money is. <laughs> yeah,
4: okay. It's a Ford Fairline, 65. Yeah, yeah. take a look at it. Yeah,
5: yeah. Why would you do anything else when you could do stand-up? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Oh yeah, not go to a birthday party. You could be doing stand up I mean,
3: he is Why a, would you go to a birthday party? You could be, be doing stand. I mean, he is You could be at
0: the birthday party I mean, Jay is such a purist. I mean, nobody loves it like Jay. Well, and yeah. and uh he uh, it, it, I I met him uh, I did real time about a year and a half ago and he was on and it and seeing backstage the Jay that I remembered from when he used to go on Letterman, yeah. Just seeing the real acerbic, you know. Someone yeah. like, are you, are you sad to leave the Tonight Show? And backstage he was like, why? Well, I'm, inter- I'm not interviewing a hit celebrities anymore. Why would I? I was like, oh okay, <laughs> oh, there's, yeah. the, there's the, the uh, there's that guy. Right. Well, he's
5: a, he's a scientist. About it. I mean, he was just, you know, yeah, I, I do, um, you know, whatever way. I do 29 jokes in 13 minutes.
4: Dave does six
5: minutes. <laughs> you know,
4: it's okay. You know?
5: I mean, he has it down to the minute Jay had the tonight. He just understood the network the dealings of it anyway. You're a quirky bunch. The comedians are a quirky bunch. We're a quirky little bunch. Are we, you know, do, well, where do you lay on that, the spectrum of needing it? Like, do you need to get on stage, or uh, or do you go on because you have some funny ideas, or do you, like, get oxygen from it? I mean, um, there's two different types, really. It's a little bit of both. I think I just, Interesting. I,
0: I like it. I like it. I enjoy I'm it. I'm lowering it's, your net worth, based yeah, on what oh you just said. no. <laughs> I need it. Um, I if, if I don't do it for a while, I do need to get on stage, yeah. but I'm not, uh, I don't feel obsessive about it in the sense that... If I don't perform seven times this week, yeah. I am not a comedian. I just I like it. I like performing. I like being in front of people. I obviously crave attention, and um, it's 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 fun. It's something that I hope I will never not do. And it's why mm-hmm. I ever did anything was just so I could get people out to see shows.
5: Well, if you do stand up, then you are d- doing a lot of things at once. You know, conquering fear. The most humiliating things in my life have been some of my bombs. Yeah, you know. what's your worst bomb story? Um, Westwood Comedy Store, George Slaughter, I'd only done stand-up two years, from Laugh-In, came to San Francisco to recruit for that short-lived second Laugh-In show, which Robin Williams got on, and saw me at a little teeny place called the Mustard Seed Cafe, and I got on a roll with my Star Trek bit, um, and, uh, he invited me to L.A. to meet, you know, So, well, this is the first part of the bomb. My my parents bought me a corduroy suit. We'd never we're from Northern California, so I was sweating the entire time. I was a three piece corduroy suit that was light beige. I'm walking around like urban cowboy or something, and I went in his office and I thought it was a regular job. And he was trying to get me to be funny, and I was just totally like that. So then he goes, "Well, we got you on at the Westwood Comedy Store." So I went over there and I'm on kind of early, and I went up and I did my first. Star Trek thing and played to silence. And I had no experience to like Mayday, Mayday, Switch, talk to the audience, anything. So I just went down in sweaty flames, just the worst ever. And I went over to the booth and I had a girlfriend at the time uh, who was sitting there. And I sat next to her and everyone could see us. And I'm just drenched in sweat, just really shooken up. And she scooched over. Oh. <laughs>
4: oh.
5: And then they threw up JJ Walker, who was going to go on an hour later. Just so the so I wouldn't walk the room because people were starting to go. This is so bad. I'm getting oh, out of here. No. So he goes, take a look, kid. And see how it's done. So that was my worst bomb. <laughs> Did before. he crush? Wow.
0: He crushed, <laughs> and, and he was great. <laughs> he was absolutely great but that's the thing if you can still get on stage because everyone has one of those types of stories and if you can still get on that's when i tell people like if you can still get on stage after that happens and you still want to get on stage you're probably doing the right thing because that would make most people never do it again
5: i would get wounded and quit for like two months yeah because i took everything personally i didn't know till later because both my kids are now stand-ups in their early 20s i'm down here mentoring them um i tell them it's mostly circumstantial you know i would play like People would be eating at some party, and I'm doing stand-up, and I'm bombing. And I would take it really personal. Because when you first start out, you're like, really? Like I'm going to do this? Seriously, me? I mean, I may be a, a professional comedian, so you need so much validation the first three years. And yeah, you get. I got just so wounded, and I had a horrible stage fright.
0: Horrible. Was your early stand-up, was it a lot of character stuff, or was it more jokey jokes?
5: Well, because I was playing dick bars, I would do just really quick... I did – my first bit was the X-rated Wizard of Oz. Uh I mean, it was horrible stuff. (laughs) I'd get hard and I'd have foreplay. I'd even have some more play if I only had a dick. Dun, 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 dun. That was a big close. You got to bring it back, Dana. It could be. I, I think can you see. You got to bring it back. The Twitter verse is going to light up on that one. <laughs> but then later on, I got to the other cafe. Did you ever go through there? That little. It was a little place in the Haight Ashbury, oh, San Francisco. N- I know
0: it. No, yes, yeah. I definitely know it, but I never, I never did it.
5: And that's where I kind of realized the entire time I was a sketch player doing stand up. It's even what I'm dealing with now. I just shot a special for Netflix, and I did it in a fairly big room, and. Uh, But I was warming up in small clubs, so all my bits were very small little character. Like I do uh, Charming Hitler. (laughs) Uh, Just that Hitler was always screaming when we see him. (laughs) That he must have been exhausted to the point of being almost effeminate backstage. (laughs) And he would be manipulative. Himmler. So stealthy. So secretive. Everyone loves your haircut, but no one knows who your baba is. So I'm in a thousand seat theater this small playing like this, so. I've learned that I I need to play smaller rooms. How do you you
0: balance out when you – because so many characters that you've created are so iconic as part of our pop culture. I mean a lot of them. And so when you go on stage, you must feel like Edwin Harry comes to mind. I feel. Like. Uh, I love that one. <laughs> Edwin, Harry.
5: Edwin Harry. I uh, loud the effeminate
0: heterosexual. <laughs> that's
5: nope. a good problem to have, but it is a real problem because people yeah.
0: want to. You know, because then at that point, it almost is like people are almost seeing you like a band. We're like, do this one. You're like, no, but I gotta do new stuff. I have to create new things that you will want to see. So how do you balance? Yeah, uh, it's it's a
5: real problem. The first thing I said to John Irwin, who was the producer of the special. Yeah, I know. Yeah. John. And I just said, "Well, can we do it? Can I do it in front of not my audience you know because I, I did a I did a thing with spade in front of spade's audience, and I was just doing much better. so when I did it with my real fans that are you know a lot of snow on the roof, a little older, I get it, <laughs> and I totally understand what they're looking for, and everybody's um always been a little confused as to who am I I mean am I a g rated sort of Carol Burnetti type or The stuff that I've done over the years is a little confusing, so I think I did hurt their feelings a little bit on some of the specials. I mean sometimes I get people looking like they're in pain in some (laughs) of the stuff I'm doing, and I'll toss in a little bit of Garth, and I'll toss in a little bit of Church Lady. You know, I get that, but it's um, a good problem to have, but it's definitely a problem um, because they would love it if I said, you know what? Forget my act tonight. I've got all the costumes backstage. I'm going to do a review of all my SNL characters in costume. Yeah, they'd be delighted. So it's kind of an interesting yeah. thing, and I I don't know the way out of it. I just I get a kick out of making them laugh just as hard at a new bit. You know, that's tough though because you
0: you definitely want to you want them to be happy and comfortable. So I think it is like, well, do you do the do you do a character they know first and then do a new bit, or do you do do bit first and then give them. It's like when I saw Beck play a couple years ago. He said at the top of the show, "Listen, I'm going to play like eight songs that you don't really know, mm-hmm. but then I'm going to play all the stuff you want to hear." And and well, the audience seemed like he made that deal with them up front to just tell, let, just so they weren't spending the whole time going, "Is he going to play, loser or What's happening?" You know, right? No, where's Devil's haircut? So he did all that, and then at the end, he played all the songs that everyone knew. And well, uh, there was a little bit. Uh, a sub thing of
5: that was like my wife is in the audience and you have known her since the 70s. So she's like, you know, she's <laughs> she over it, Dave,
4: <laughs> <laughs> which I like. I never wanted
5: a fan because the the arc of a comedian who marries a fan that she's she's uh, at every show and she's kind of in the front two rows. And then and then maybe six months later, she's in the middle. And then six months later, she's like at every other show. Right. And uh, then when yeah. she comes, she just sort of. Looks in for a bit and then leaves early, you know. And then eventually she's not there, yeah. And then they're divorced. <laughs> <laughs> so it must
0: I, be great being married to a comedian. It's great, uh,
5: right. but she just said, "Well, they seem to really laugh every time I would switch my voice." Because I don't really have a face or a voice. I don't, I'm like an invisible... Like, you could put two inches of prosthetic makeup on John Lovitz and go, Hi, John, how you doing? <laughs> what? How could you tell? How did you know it was me? But I'm like working this junior Gary Oldman look where I've got a little bit of scruff and mm-hmm. I wear these glasses. I don't really need them. And, you know, so I need to create a face. I'm like the invisible man. So... Um,
3: what was I saying? <laughs> You're talking about your your wife saying to you. Oh well, you know. they just
5: like it when I go into a voice. The audience, even even if it's not a popular character, like if I just start talking, if I start talking like an Italian accent, they're like, hey, he's that's doing "What he does? It, it he... doesn't matter." They go like, "What the fuck is he doing over here?" You know,
0: they're happy. Well, that's I think that's because that's sort of the bank account that you've built up with the public is like, "Oh, Dana Carvey does." Character. So if I see him doing a character, he's doing the thing that I expect him to do, and I'm I can laugh at that. And what is it about me that I keep working against that? Why don't I just go with it?
5: Is it self destructive?
0: I don't know if it's I don't know if it's <laughs> self destructive. You know this. what it almost you know what it almost huh? might be? <laughs> is it the character? <laughs> the character stuff seems to come so flaw easily to you. Maybe you don't consider it a real thing. Where you're like, well, that's not no, who I am. This is just a thing I can do. And maybe you want, you know, maybe it's that struggle between I want people to know who I am versus.
4: Mm,
5: yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I do. As I started doing this special, I realized, yeah, I do like doing the, the ultimate thing for me is to wind down a character or an attitude and take it really, 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 really far. And that's what I would do in the back of the Volkswagen Bug with my friends in college. When they were all stoned I mean, we wouldn't, I wouldn't do jokes or bits I'd do an impression of the water polo coach For a half hour Right. So that's what I, what I want to do That's why I want to do one of these shows yeah. So I can do that Why don't when, you do that? I want to do a podcast I, 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 like things, I like to come into things late After they've already peaked Hey, that's um, what <laughs> Apple does
0: <laughs> right? And then takes it over. Apple Apple waits to see how something works and then they go, "Okay, we are just going to tweak it this way." Well, guys,
3: I've just bought a DVD pressing plant. Great I really idea. I really think it's going to make great. DVDs.
5: <laughs> <laughs> but the redundancy of stand-up, I find, that's where the work comes in, you know, repeating things that you've got all worked out nicely. So, I mean, don't you find that's the hardest part? When you're first coming on to a new bit, it's very exciting, of right? Course. That's the best part of stand-up yeah. by far. And then when you've peaked with it, but you've got to get the energy up to remember – because you know how bits sometimes start to slip away? Sure. You go, what happened to that bit? Why aren't they it
3: was my bonding. killer
0: bit. Because you don't buy it anymore. Yeah. And when you don't buy it, the audience can tell that you don't buy it anymore. So I think it's like you try new tags or you try a different spin or you fuck with the order or I'm you know, like 40 percent of what I do when I'm doing a live show is just fucking around with the crowd. And then it kind of like the bits sort of weave in and out of that. So it's never the same – you would never see the exact same show too.
5: Well, that's nice because then you're keeping yourself off balance too. So yeah. We, so if someone yells out a bit that makes me think of a bit I already have, that already makes it new. If right. they yell out a topic, you know, if you do Q&A with a crowd, they're, and they always lead you to some bit, old bit or something. So yeah. that, there's just ways to kind of keep it interesting. Um, brilliant, some brilliant comedians are really wordsmith word for word and right. just repeat. You know?
0: That I feel like would be hard to do because that is a that all that becomes like a theater performance where it's like right. everything has to never be exactly ending. and it never can deviate because this is the because mm-hmm. then I would always feel like oh if someone saw this if someone came to the eight o'clock show and the ten o'clock show. Then this, some of the magic get you know com- jokes are magic tricks, and then it feels like some of the magic trick gets spoiled if someone sees the exact same yeah. thing twice in a row. The, be-
5: the bit, I- the only bit that I really like from the special because I've seen everything so much was just sort of ad lib that night. It was a bit that I did in 1983. And it was because I was a Scarface fanatic, like a lot of us. (laughs) Comedians were the first ones that became fanatics of the movie. And later on, the rappers, right? But I'd done um, Tony Montana at Thanksgiving dinner. It was a complete abstraction. But I just improvised it that night. I had, I kind of hatched it at the ice house a little bit. So I was discovering it while we were shooting. And so then it just to me, I look at it and I go, "Wow, the difference is so enormous. It's just really,
0: really popping." Did you ever hear John Mulaney's bit about Scarface? No, no, it's a great. I think it's on the top part. I think it's on the isn't on the top part. But he's just talking. He's talking about how he, how he hates Scarface, and then he just des- he's describing <laughs> <Hates> and, him. He <laughs> goes uh, as and, a real person. Yeah, but just he hates the. It's like he, he doesn't like he doesn't understand the obsession with the movie, and he describes Scarface's house. He goes, "Scarface's house looks like if the Golden Girls won the lottery." <laughs> 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 well, that's true. It's a great, it's a great bit. But he, uh, uh, but the, but that mm-hmm. idea of being able to take old stuff, that's why I think it's always good to go back and look at old jokes. Cause like maybe they weren't ready yet, or maybe you have a different perspective that you can bring to some of your older stuff. I think well, we write off old bits like, no, those are old, but I think it's good to.
5: Well, there's iconic tent poles for me as far as rhythms that, that now are co- sort of operatic or considered over the top. And two would be, uh, Robert Shaw and Jaws. Shark going in the water. I mean, talk about chewing scenery, but it's genius. <laughs> you can never get it out of your mind. Kays going in the water. Sharks in uh, more. more scenery than the shark. going in
4: the water. Talking about a great weight, 20:
5: Twenty, twenty-five feet. So it's just a rhythm you could never. Um, and then I think what Al Pacino did with the Cuban accent was artistic to me. Churrono. okay, okay. Right. Okay. That attitude and that rhythm is never tiring to me. What if Scarface yeah. met Robert Shaw? <laughs> I
0: think yeah. it would.
5: What are you, you going to do? Catch a fish?
4: How are you going to You're to catch a fish? Is that your idea? A fish go in the water. Where the fuck would a fish be? But in the water, okay?
5: You don't know. Why are you about, ma? Why you about? The thing that I started winding down for my own self is that at Thanksgiving dinner, he starts talking about how the grandmother eats all the really cool food. You know? So <laughs> I look around, man. I look for a bowl of cada I look for a bowl of card. I look, I go outside, I come back, there are no karakar. Which is something about that accent saying, karakar? So you know, we live in a world where you're supposed to do stand-up, where it's uh, kind of storytelling with jokes, confessional. I had a tumor; it's okay, right. that kind of thing. If it's sort of humorous, and I understand that, but and then there's just doing abstract voices. There's not really much to talk about. It hits me viscerally, and that still is what I like to do the most, <laughs> rather than ideas. But I do stuff that's point of view stuff. I had a tumor, and no, I okay.
0: Like you could <laughs> Right, yeah, I <laughs> you can tell those stories. you could tell these really deep stories as and, these characters. And Scorpius, yeah. So you could do the Joe of the Dollar
5: Man. Embarrassed. Embarrassed. You're, gonna, you're gonna probe me, right? Embarrassed. he's sticking, I don't lie. So, <laughs>
0: that's sort of the that's sort of the that's sort of the, the Louisism of the, the, I mean not, not that Louis's the only one speaking of secret life of pets. But that not not that Louis yeah. is the only one to ever do that, but he did he was a, a someone ushering in this wave of the last 10 years of comedy of like autobiographical, you know. Yeah,
5: which is brilliant. I mean, his, his wordplay and stuff is fantastic. So yeah, it's just uh, when you're at my age and where I'm at, you know, it's just this fine line between, you know, you don't want to like push outside yourself to try to be relevant. Right. And yet you don't want to be a goody but an oldie kind of thing. Right. So I've already kind of, run a lap where people are just happy for me to show up and it's like and I'm try, I'm thinking in my head space I want to kill like it's 1985 and they're like it's okay we're just really glad you're here and everything you know the victory lap
0: part of your career where you know, I think a lot you know, of stuffs in just, your head though about like I want to do I don't want people to think this or I don't want to think this I mean I think you know it's, yeah, I'm sure. it's it's hard to it's hard to get around all that stuff because I think the weird like the fame and the weird politics of the business really do cloud your judgment in a way that all centers around, like, where your ego is, and it's hard to get around that stuff.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think agents and managers generally are scared and kind of horrified. Like, I remember the first time I made a million dollars from Saturday Night Live or something. I was like, shouldn't we kind of take a moment, you know? (laughs) And it was immediately, like, the next move, and of course, you know, there's no no sense of anything but just fear. But what I tell my kids, the last thing I try to remember to say to myself when I do stand-up is right before I go out, because sometimes you forget oh, my number one job right now is to have fun. Have fun, yeah, that's it. And, but you can forget sometimes, you go, why was that set shitty? I forgot yeah. that I was supposed to have fun. Yeah. And I just got inside my head too much.
3: Did
0: know? Did any of the, Do did you talk about your surgery at all in any of your stand-up? Does that ever weave in? You know, I had, you know,
5: this the special is sort of, has some kind of edgier stuff, because I've got millennial kids Push yeah. me, you should totally do that, Dad, totally. I just do this voice <laughs> thing. You should totally do that, Dad. Yeah, of course. And so he was like, talk about it. So I went to the west side out in Santa Monica so I talked about my surgery that got botched which is, is really funny right. um, I started out with like I went to the doctor well, I had a double bypass and I said well how'd it go and he said well it went great well what happened he goes well one of the things was connected properly the other one was a little down on the side a little bit but we thought it was a really good result you know, <laughs> oh, no. one out of two but my wife said well they're, they, my wife goes well they, they feel sorry for you but that's probably more of the older crowd you know but <laughs> who can relate to having such a thing? I have no. For me, like being really funny is really hard. Like for me to go up there and sit on a stool and, and talk about the surgery or be confessional, totally fine. I people can ask me anything. I just find it's so much harder to be really, really funny consistently for an hour, and that's the challenge. I mean, that's still like a, a kind of a chewy challenge, isn't it? Just to kill for an hour. You know how hard that is. Well, I think when if if you're touring a lot. If you how much do you tour? How much do you tour? I never really did a lot of it, and I'm always glad if the show is canceled. <laughs> if you, <laughs> I am. If there was a black, it's like school. Remember when school was canceled? Right. So there the, was an exam. And like almost, oh, never, almost euphoria. Yes.
0: Right? Yes. Um,
5: stay. I always had a love hate with it in a way. Um, if you
0: if you did if you did like fifty if you if you did like a like fifty dates a year yeah the hour wouldn't feel it wouldn't feel that that Crazy because you're just you're doing it so much, but yeah. to like to have to ramp up and then do it. Oh, I got through that. Yeah, I can imagine that would that would feel. Yeah, would you feel do. Like you a, get used to it because people will ask me,
5: and they'll probably ask you, "How do you guys do that?" I go, "Well, we just do it a lot." You know, you could do it. Well, we're broken, and
0: you know, we've we figured out. But I, but it. I, I think you know, I think you could actually talk. I think you could experiment. You, you of all people, I think could experiment with talking about really heavy things. Just doing characters talking about the surgery. Yeah, maybe just to because. Then it kind of has that Simpsons quality of like, oh, there's something silly happening up here and then something deep underneath that are, that is sneaking into people's heads. Well, it
5: would be a real challenge, yeah, because people kind of glaze over when I talk about it. Right. You know, because there's a sense that if I say, look, there's two kinds of people who who had my issue, the ones who had a heart attack and ones who didn't, and I didn't. <laughs> and they, once they hear that, they just go,
0: you know. Do you think it's because they go, this is not the Dana Carvey I want to see. I want to see the characters.
5: Well, it's that, and all humans want to think that illness is self-created, and it's pretty much you're a stress bucket, and it was in your head, and because therefore, that, then they can't get it. Right. So it's a comforting thing. So when I was up in Marin County, which is very uh, Healing Crystals, <laughs> and I went to a, to a heart group after the thing, and they just said, yeah, it's pretty much in your mind. So it's like, oh, I have the power. To block my own artery. Wow. Because I was stressed or whatever. Then I came to Cedar sinai and met with P.K. Shah, who's this brilliant Indian cardiologist who's like a really good friend of mine. And he just – he laughed. I go, is it mental? Oh, no. (laughs) He doesn't like to believe in anything that he can't prove. Right. He says, of course, stress is an influence. But I had a thing called familial hyperclestremia. And so that's just super high genetic cholesterol. In fact, there's kids who I have one gene that's defective, one gene that's good. If both are defective, then your cholesterol's like 12, 1300. Jeez. So kids they're getting like dialysis for cholesterol or or bypasses or angioplasties at 10, 11, 12. So mine was genetically based. Wow. So I mean, you, you guys didn't glaze over so far? No, we're not glazing no. over at all.
0: I I do believe that there's a, you know, like maybe it is weaving in the characters of the people surrounding you while this was happening and the doctor and the, the tech and the and telling the story that way and using those to paint the colors. But I do feel like yeah. it's really in- – I do think it is very interesting and it's very human. It's very humanizing. Yeah, I've talked about it
5: over the years and done a lot of
0: benefits with him, with
5: P.K. Shaw and talked about it. And uh, yeah, maybe I'll do the next special. Oh, do you want to do another special? Oh, I do. Definitely. Yeah. I, I really want to do one in a in a very small room. I'm doing a, Mill Valley has a great theater. That's that's where I we were raising the kids. I I live a block from that theater. That is a gorgeous that's, theater. That's maybe the best theater in the country. It's great in terms of just this compression. Yeah. or feng shui of a, of a room. Yeah, like I've never bombed in there.
0: It's weird. Have you guys been to the Mill Valley? No. It's, an, it's an old movie house, and it you got restored, that, yeah. and it's it's a great, it's a really great space.
5: It's just this compression. You know, it's all this this height of the stage, uh, the demographic of the audience, the vibe of the room. But yeah, that's a magic room. Yeah,
0: I love that uh, you room. know, um, didn't you just do one or you? I did. I did one. Yeah, I did one. I did it at the Palace of Fine Arts. When in January? It oh, just okay. it just aired in April. It just came out. A and where ago. is it? Where is it? Where can I get it? <laughs> oh, well, um, now that you. I know you, oh well. Um, but is it
5: on Showtime or HBO or it was Netflix Comedy or? Central? It was Comedy Central. Comedy Central, and
0: so it's I guess it's on iTunes and yeah. That Comedy Central doesn't Viacom doesn't have a deal With Netflix And so it's not on Netflix I know I can't on.
5: Spade and Dennis did one I couldn't find theirs For a year <laughs> I go I go to Comedy Central On Demand It's not there yeah. And Brad Williams Is a friend of mine oh, He yeah. did one
0: on Showtime yeah. and I can't find it
5: yeah, I, I think... texted him He was in China I go where can I find Your special I go is it not on Showtime On Demand Nope No, nope. oh, I, right I don't
0: now. know then Yeah it's uh, I'd say iTunes Is usually a good fallback Or Amazon iTunes yeah. or Amazon is, uh, is good How did you feel About this one personally um, I felt honestly, I felt happy with it because it was just in sort of talking about serious things, I you know, this it it was it was a result of about four years of touring, yeah, and a, and a few years ago, I started, you know, telling all these stories about my dad, which he loved, and then he died. And so mm-hmm. then I started talking about that. And so this there was this whole arc of like of dead dad stuff that I was trying to make human and not bum people out and also not make feel like a one-man show. Right, no, it's it's a challenge. What's so human about this? So there really is a through line. So there's a lot of, you know, 15-year-old dick jokes to pad the fact that there's a lot of, like, my dad died. Uh, Right. So I don't think it feels super heavy or, like, ooh, you know, there's not a... Like, I saw uh, Julie Sweeney's uh, God Said Ha when she was doing it live, yeah. and it's an mm-hmm. it was an amazing show. Right. But it had a lot of those moments where you're like, oh, my God, you know, because it was just right. such a tragic but beautifully done thing. I don't think there's a lot of, like, heavy tragedy in it, but there is a lot of, you know. <laughs>
5: yeah. Well, my dad died a week before I shot the special. <laughs>
0: really? <laughs> yeah.
5: But he was 92 and, you know. He had it coming. Well, I I did a bit about him for years, and it's really just between the lines if people can see where the darkness was of it. But it was, I said, the last time I talked politics with my father, he said, I can't talk politics with you because you don't know shit. (laughs) And that's all I need to know about my childhood. (laughs) Will you be in my audience next time I shoot? Absolutely. Um, But that was a rhythm. That's what you're talking about. That's the rhythm of my father became a caricature of his rhythm. But just talking like this, oh, God damn it. Like, you know, when he was 75, you know how older men dressed in pastels? Yes. Bright colors. So he came out with a yellow shirt and pink pants. I go, yeah, pink pants. He goes, they're salmon, you little (laughs) dummy. So it's a fun it was a fun rhythm to do. But he had a good <laughs> life. I mean he lived till ninety two. He basically died of old age yeah. in no pain. Good. So you know, what That's can you say? That's the way say? to go. That is the best way to go. Yeah. That is the way to go. But um
0: so anyway. What was your SNL audition that you said was terrifying?
5: Um I'd audition twice before in the early eighties. Always got I, I followed Sam Kennison at the comedy store at midnight. This was maybe eighty three. Oh shit. With no no host. You'd go up and do five and then yeah. come off. Original team, yeah, tag team. And so Kennison elevated the room, and then I went up and played to Dead Silence. <laughs> dead Silence. So then, um, you know, and I'd auditioned. They saw me at the improv, saw me there. So then they came around again, and after the 85 cast, didn't, most of them got fired. So my manager knew Bernie Burlstein and knew Lauren Michaels. So Lauren was going to come see me, and I thought, I can't do it at the improv of the comedy store. I'm going to bomb in the kind of lineup thing. So. Um, Rosie O'Donnell was playing a place called Igby's on the yeah, West Side. You yeah, remember that? Which is now so a that, strip club. Is it? Oh, funny. Yeah. Well, it was like 100 seats, really nice, low ceiling. And I had never met Rosie, but I asked Jan Smith, who ran the club, could I come in there and do a regular set? And Ro- Ro- he asked Rosie. She said, okay. So we were going to co headline. And I'd never met her. Uh, she seemed incredibly confident, but we were like, who should go on first? I didn't, so I went on first. But it was a regular audience. And I was going to get 45 minutes. So Lauren Michaels is coming. I'm just incredibly in shape at this point, like you're talking about. I've yeah. done two years just pounding stand-up. And, but it, unbelievably tense. And then I'm waiting to go on. Then Lauren walks in, and he's got share with him. <laughs> <laughs> and the president of NBC. And they sit down. Is that Brandon Tartikoff? Yes. Yeah. And they sit down. And now Dana Garney. <laughs> and I was in. It was a good audience. I was in good enough shape. I had chopped broccoli at the church lay. I had a few impressions. Robin Leach, you know, um, and that basically got me the show. But but because I was in a you know an environment where I could make it happen a little bit. Did you, you
0: find that SNL an environment fertile for comedy, or was it as cutthroat as some people describe?
5: Uh, I don't. I don't say cutthroat. I just say that any. Sociological experiment: You take ten or fifteen comedians and just put them in a free for all, and each week you don't know because all your well-meaning friends—if you're on a show a lot and then not on it the next week—your friends go,
4: "They fucked you, man. They're totally fucking you."
5: <laughs> 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 what? So it's a bitterness machine. Yeah. What happened to me was, um, Churchley got on the first show and was the final sketch on the first show, and then was moved up. And it was then all of a sudden the first sketch on the first show. I'd never done sketch comedy anywhere, ever. I had a really hard time not, when I was in a sketch, not looking at the audience when I got a laugh. (laughs) Oh, of course, of course. Uh, Like a (laughs) stand-up. I didn't know I was in the cold opening. I didn't (laughs) know what sketch, dress, you know. But I knew that character from my stand-up. And the minute I said, well, isn't that special? And got this enormous laugh, I went, ah, I'm in, you know. So that character exploded, and I had Phil and Jan... Phil Hartman, Jan Hooks, brilliantly playing all these different religious figures who were flailing in in, in the culture at that time. you know, yeah. And they were, you know, Tammy... Tammy Faye. Jim Faye. Baker. Yep. And so that became a big thing. So I had such a foothold on that show because of that right away that I was not behind the eight ball wondering, you know, am I going to get fired or whatever. Well, the that audience, changed
0: it for me. Having the audience there is because then when you guys... Is it true that the first cut of Wayne's World was like 40 minutes or something and you guys had to go shoot a bunch more stuff? Uh,
5: no, but it was, it was pretty brief. Uh, we shot it in uh, <laughs> 30 days. Um, it was my only good time on a movie set because Penelope Spheris would just say, uh, what are you going to do here? And I said, well, Garth's going to do this or so he's going to hold this up and go, if you're going to spew, spew into this. He goes, <laughs> okay, and then there'd be a takes. We'd do it slightly faster. That was the only direction. Oh, wow. And they let us in the editing room. The whole Foxy Lady thing was not going to make it. Um, it was huh. way over-edited, and the whole uh, conceit of it was lost, you know. Because usually when the shyest guy in town tries to be extroverted, he goes way over the top. Right. That was sort of the what I was thinking underneath, you know. And I was going to do What's New Pussycat? But Steve Martin was doing that in um, Father of the Bride. So then I switched to Hendrix. (laughs) Fucking
4: Steve. Fucking Steve, Fucking Steve
5: again. But that thing was done really fast on the fly. It was light, smooth, and easy. And then the second movie uh, was just poisoned by the first movie. The first movie made fun of product placement and money and power. The second movie... um, Like, if you hand a set director a million dollars, they're going to give you a million dollar set. They're not going to go. It only took 200,000. So I walked into this, their lair, I go, this is Wayne and Garth's, like, place they (laughs) hang out. And it was this million dollar, wooden, giant, we had a fireman's pole. What the fuck?
0: The first movie was so sweet and innocent. Cursed by your success. Exactly. It It was sort of the, it was almost the same thing that made Deadpool so huge, was that you guys were the first in the early 90s to sort of – the movie was really a commentary on culture and Every comedy. Every second we and were everything. commenting yeah, on ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And no one had really – at that point, no, nope, people had just didn't do that. And it's so commonplace now. But at the time, 80s comedies weren't – they were not self-aware in that way at all. It was the first time where comedy sort of – in film, is like, oh, this is a this is a thing, this is a whole structure, and we're going to make fun of that,
5: right? We're going to point out what we're doing as we're doing it, and you're still going to laugh. Yeah, you know? yeah, it was um, just a, an amazing ride. But how bizarre... do you know
0: when you're shooting a film? I mean, and you, you normally you have an audience that's giving you the cues of like, this is funny, this isn't funny. So what is that? You're, what is it that you're trusting when the camera is a foot from your face and you're?
5: Well, I think that you know. Uh, the second movie, I was terrible for a lot of reasons. But Garth had different rhythms, and sometimes I would push it too hard. Um, but the rhythm that was based on my brother Brad, no exaggeration, and maybe you guys have all heard this. But my brother Brad, if he was here, he does kind of talk like this, and he holds <laughs> his mouth like this. And he's got kind of a rhythm like this. Okay, so I think it was nice. So that thing of, you know, excuse me, I'd like to get by right now. <laughs> So that was what was anchoring that for the film for me, and the reason I did the little six guns, the little stun guns, because mm. Brad was a science nerd, and he told me how it plausibly be done and what kind <laughs> of battery pack, you know, that would happen it's good there. Good space work. But um, I think that you know we had we had you know three years to practice it on television. We had a ton of catchphrases and. Um, and then it was just uh sheer freaky luck i mean the first time mike and i saw it we just saw all the flaws at a big screening out in new jersey and i was like oh wow you know i thought i i thought my stuff was a disaster he thought his he stuff was a disaster and we're out to dinner with one of the people from the studio, and they go, it's got Ghostbusters numbers.
4: Let's eat. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: so I didn't know my life was about to change. I had Ghostbusters numbers? What do, mean, what do you mean numbers? We didn't know previews, whatever. So.
0: Oh, yeah, and that was a time when TV people did TV and movie people did movies. And if you could somehow cross over it was it was this epic thing I mean media's also mashed together now but it was not that way
5: yeah yeah it was just a freak a freak thing to be part of um, mm-hmm. my
3: mother took me to see it what year did it come out 92 91 19- I think 91. yeah so first w- one in, Yeah. I was uh, s- 7 years old when it came out 8 years old and my mother took me to see it and I loved it but I remember asking my mother what a sphincter was <laughs> and she just Parents and whispers. It's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Boston. Boston.
5: They don't drink. They don't smoke pot. I mean, it's no, a very innocent film. And after my career kind of went down, we can talk about that. But I did the show with Louie and uh, Carell
0: and those guys got two little kids. Loved like, that well, show. The Dana Carvey Show yeah. is one of the best sketch comedy shows.
3: I mean, I like A&W Root Beer Presents the Dana Carvey Show. That was my favorite. We, we did that <laughs> the intentionally. The Taco Bell
5: dancing. We did that intentionally. We got no money from it. Me and Robert Smigel or Louie, we wanted to make fun of the idea of that, it, which now it's become... Now it's a know, thing. It was sort of a parody of 50s, you know, Chevrolet yeah. Presents. But... Um, Colbert and
0: Carell and... And and yeah. you guys did a Singled Out sketch I hosted a show called Singled yes. Out Oh I know, oh, I, know. I remember you watching that show did, And you did Ted Kaczynski It's like yes. how did they find him And then he, cause he yes. went on Wow what a memory Yeah well yeah. of course I, yeah. I I was The show that I worked
5: on So that was a big thing for yeah, me Yeah the show was really really cool It was just never belonged on ABC That was the main
3: Skinheads
0: from Maine It's like the fucking The sketches
3: like on that that show like that was edgy The Beatles anthology outtakes was great this.
5: I really loved it. I liked it more than SNL because I love doing stuff with an audience and I, I love doing stuff without an audience, like little films. When we did the Beatle thing, there was no audience, you know, set for a plonker, you know, <laughs> I was plonking away. You know. So you could do, and we had an A team of writers. But so what I was going to say, just in terms of Wayne's World, real quickly, is I, so then I moved the kids up to Northern California. Well, you know, that's it. Career's done. I'll just do stand up here and there. And I thought, I can just escape at all. I hadn't been around, and so six years later. And then the first Halloween, you know, I've got the candy out. It's like a Norman Rockwell little town up there, Mill Valley. And the ding-dong, it opens up, and there's a kid, a teenage kid, dressed exactly like Garth. (laughs) (laughs) So I
0: guess you can run, but you cannot hide. Did you – and you felt like – You really did resign yourself to like, well, I guess that's it. I had a good run. Oh, yeah. I didn't
5: think the fame would stay with me. I just thought it would sort of trundle down and wanted the kids to have a normal life. And then so we went along and I went to one of my kids lacrosse games up there and I started hearing that's Garth's kid or that's Dana Carvey's kid. Garth's kid. Hey, us They're yelling at my kid. Oh, my God. So it became a feature of their childhood that they were known as Dana Carvey's kid, even though I thought I'd faded away enough that it would be tamped down. you know. So I was very exotic. I hung out with a lot of bankers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: What's up, guys? The market's up. That's cool. I was such an exotic person up there. you know. Uh, eventually, Sean Penn moved in for a while. Hopper played lacrosse with Dex, his son Hopper. Oh, wow. And I would see Sean here and there. and Because really, we would do the dad thing where you'd have the big beige khaki shorts, and you'd go to the lacrosse game, and it's really hot out, and they're on the field, and it's beautiful grass. And you've just got dad stuff on, the baseball cap and big baggy shirt. And I remember Sean once over the side, he had the motorcycle boots, jeans, and a motorcycle
0: <laughs> and a
5: He was like the coolest cat on a cell phone.
1: Just off the side, green
5: grass everywhere, beautiful kids in their uniforms,
4: What that is,
0: you know.
5: <laughs> I have to
0: confess, when you said Hopper played lacrosse, I, I thought I, my first thought was Dennis. like, Dennis Hopper was playing lacrosse with children?
3: No, that wasn't
5: <laughs> but I couldn't hide there. I had a friend who was from Mississippi, lived next door, and he would say that – he would inadvertently tell me that I was being watched around town. My, my, my friend said he saw you over there. <laughs> You know, the gap buying some socks, Dana, he saw you over there. And then he would report that people so we realized we were being watched until Sean and Robin Wright came in and then everyone was talking about them. Took some of the heat off. Saw yeah, saw old Sean Penn on the movie theater, Dana, walking in there, you know, that kinda of thing.
0: I seeing a movie, he was seeing a movie, huh? Like a yeah. person. That's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, Everyone
5: wants to have a show business story About someone they met There was this one guy who did see Sean Penn at The Gap And every party he would want Tell the story So I'm at The Gap, right? And I'm buying socks, right? And I look over at Sean Penn He's buying socks And I go, hey, you like socks? Sean Penn goes, everybody's got to have socks (laughs) And that was the end of the story And then an hour later in the party You'd hear him over in the corner going everybody got to like socks So it was a small town, but a beautiful place. Still have the house there. Redwood, oh, Redwood trees. You know. gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. So then the kids go into stand up. So I moved down here. Where 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 they where are they where you? We're been? all we're all in West Hollywood. We're just in the center of it. Nice. Yeah. Just just there's more show business to do. I've never been busier. There's just
0: everything. it's just it went crazy. Do you like it still? Hmm. Do I not <laughs> seem to like it? <laughs> no, I just I just want to know because you. Oh, I wonder. It's, it's like, when you take time off, do you feel? you know cuz part of the thing i think that drives comedy is 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 the hunger you have to have a hunger for something maybe it's attention maybe it's i want i got to be the best comic or maybe it's you know louis going i got to release a special every year like george carlin but there has to be some kind of hunger And i think if their hunger isn't there comedy's just a chore i have an, an intense
5: hunger i'm just i'm very dysfunctional i mean what you're not normal like most comedians sleep till noon <laughs> and say they're going to write a screenplay, and a decade goes by. Very, it, we're very, we're not very self-actualized <laughs> as a group. The ones like Louis and Seinfeld that actually work, or people like yourself, who actually make giant things happen, is amazing. But. I just love uh, Quentin Tarantino. I would love to do, a, you know, a very low budget film. I, I've shot a lot of stuff, but I've never just put it over the top. That was like that kind of thing, but more comedic in a very dry way. Yeah, that that would really drive me as a passion that I'd want to do. I like this; is really fun. Mm-hmm. Like if you could get paid to do this, this is pure fun for me because yeah. my ADD, I can just keep going. Um, I still get a kick out of it. I, I do. I, I I still get a kick out of uh, getting the audience to laugh at a, a bit that's kind of weird or they wouldn't expect from me. I still get a charge out of that. Um, the, like one that I did that was a little edgy was uh, what we need is an ISIS guy with doubts. You know, <laughs> Bachnar. I don't know Bachnar. Do you ever get thoughts in your head, Bachnar? I mean, I love the caliphate and everything were the true, but. Um, I don't know. Maybe
4: women could drive. I don't know.
5: <laughs> why do we, you know, why do we have to kill the non-believers? Couldn't we get them in a headlock? So stuff like that is fun. It's still a kick. But what's your biggest charge? Uh, is it stand-up still for you personally?
0: or is Yeah, it- yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, everything that I've done in the last 15 years or so was, oh, if I do this, maybe people will see it and they'll come out and see me do stand-up. Which is why I still tour and will go for you know a month or two without having a day off because I just I have to I want to tour on Fridays and Saturday nights. And wh- what kind of rooms do you play and can play? Um, I I I I made the jump to theaters about a year ago, mm-hmm. and you know I'm not. I'm not at Gaffigan-level theaters. Like, Gaffigan will... 6,000. Or Brian Regan. Regan, you know, yeah, like, Brian Regan. Will, but Gaffigan, will, you know, it's like... His numbers are incre- and well-deserved. I mean, Gaffigan is one of the best yeah, comics of absolutely. our of yeah. any generation. Yeah, but I always see Gaffigan. We've added a sixth show. It's nuts. <laughs> you know, he'll go... You know, what, yeah. what, you, you really... I think people Man. don't really understand how difficult it is to motivate people to come out and see shows. And so when you hear... Gaffigan's number is like oh, we sold thirteen thousand tickets in Chicago. That is a fucking crazy number of right. tickets to sell for a show. Yeah. Like if you can, unbelievable. You know, for yeah. for a theater, you need twelve or fifteen hundred, and that's difficult. Mm. But you know, it is yeah. So I'm 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 in theaters, but I'm not at the point where it's like we added a third show. You know,
5: it's a, it's this interesting. Besides the sort of confessional stylistic thing, it's it's this renaissance of. Uh, Rock stardom that I don't know if it started with Louis, but so many guys now just like Bill Burr, they're playing Madison Square Garden and they're selling it out yeah. or, or multiple nights in a row. I mean, we've had the phenomenon of Dane Cook or back in the day Steve Martin or whatever, but right. it seems like there's more guys, more guys out there. I, I have a theory that maybe. It's because it's the one thing that's untouched, and everything else can be manufactured. And we have, you know, famous people just for being famous, all that. But why? Because when I went back to the ice house with my kids, just to show them, this is what it was remarkably the same. It was like, wow, this is still the same, where
0: everything else is upside down. Yeah, I think part of that is you know, um, internet culture has really put internet culture and also, I guess, reality television, but internet culture has put a, a microscope over everything and i think people what they really crave is an experience that feels authentic to them they don't want to the feel word. they don't feel they yeah. want to feel like they're being lied to even if they are being lied to but in it in it through an authentic filter right but i still think that what people gravitate toward now are experiences that don't feel manufactured or don't feel corporate in some way so something that feels in the easiest and like you know the shortest distance to authenticity is like here's a really horrible thing that happened to me this is a human story right and how did I build jokes around that? You know, or even the high wire act. Real,
5: even if you're not even be authentic, you're up there, right. Risking everything, you know? right? Um, you know, it's it's kind of like they've. I don't know. The first they came for fine art in a way where it's all subjective. You can put a dot. Yep. It's just that stand up. There's no. Uh, I was doing a bit. uh, I never really got it to work, but it was like there. There's no robotic. There's no AI stand up yet. You know, like the you know the 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 Jay Leno one or something. Or you know, (laughs) or I thought of a you know where they scientists do a thing and so they create an artificial being that's that's it's called the Johnny One, right? And it's the ultimate
0: comedy machine. he have a joke for everything. And he's
5: taking our acts. You know, I don't know. I
0: mean, it's just not. I think it's it's just a. I mean, I can't imagine doing a different way that I do it. I do think this is kind of a general trend in comedy at the moment. Yeah. And there will be a backlash, and and then, like, the two-line joke comics will start to come back. And then, like, yeah. the simple – and then maybe it'll be something other – you know, prop con- – like, it it does go through waves. Well, I mean, even
5: – Brian Regan is not really confessional. It's just great observational with his characters. It's, yes. And – Gaffigan—it's kind of like he likes food, but is it that confessional or is it just sort of brilliant? No, Gaffigan, kind of l- I,
0: long. F- Gaffigan's yeah. kind of like a Gaffigan's kind of like a Wikipedia page where mm-hmm. he will introduce a topic of like whales or yeah. salads, oh, yeah. and, and, do, and then yeah. you will just see every iteration and take and angle on that thing right. from as many different angles as possible. I mean, he can do fifteen minutes on alone on one thing, right? And. It's you know when you watch his specials, they really are. You can go okay, this is a, this was fifteen minutes on this thing, and then here's another fifteen minutes on this thing, and it is remarkable how much he will get every ounce of pulp out of one
5: thing. It's kind of a, a sign of most most great standups do that. Yeah, get on one top. I remember, didn't Robert Klein do a whole album at the dentist? Or oh, did he? I think he did. Yeah, I think th- it was basically forty-five minutes in the dentist. I remember hearing Seinfeld on XM radio. It was twenty minutes at a supermarket. <laughs> Avocados, what do they fall? You know, and just going through every single thing. You know,
0: yeah, but Gaffigan—it's yeah. not. I don't think Gaffigan's not. He will. You know, he talks about having kids, but I—but yeah. he's not super autobiographical in the sense, right. Where I don't, like I don't think was. he would go. Well, oh, who is Jim really? You know, it's like he's just funny. Like he's just yeah funny. I mean, for
5: me, I you know I would think of things I could think of, but you know I've been married for thirty four years. Like, is that constructive in my relationship? If I, although I do do some bits about it, but you know yeah. there's a there's a line where like, would I possibly hurt my wife's feelings? And I'm not capable of doing the joke. No. Now.
0: No, if you asked her, I mean, if you have, you think you have to set up ground rules like, is this okay or is this not okay? I talk about my fiance a little bit, but I would always clear with her first, like, is this too? Can I not talk about this or can I talk about?
5: Yeah, my this? wife just laughed at it because I said the divorce rate for people in their fifties has quadrupled in the last decade because science will not let us die. <laughs> like we, you're you're there in your fifties, you've been married twenty five years, and you're thinking, really three more decades yeah you know? and i say in the best marriage even the best marriage at one point you look over and you'll say to yourself not my best choice <laughs> but she finds all that really funny because we we know that that thought those thoughts go through our minds of course you know yeah we're you're just like this the way for a marriage to last because you're about to get married yeah. maybe yeah is that you just accept the idea that it's a roller coaster And then if you have a flat few months, you you don't bail out. You wait for it to come back. And then when it comes back, you go, wow, I'm so glad I didn't jump.
0: Mm. Well, yeah, because I think people... Unless it's a horribly abusive (laughs) situation. You're being beaten on (laughs) them.
5: Can I show you something related to the heart thing? Sure.
0: Mm. What is that? What would you do? some
5: bruise. Well, because I'm on Plavix, I took a tumble off a stage, uh, the lab improv. I was doing a podcast with my kids. Yeah? A little tiny step. And I was just watching them
0: come up, and I just fell. That is an insane. I wish people could see this. this looks like a, it, it looks like a. T- it looks like a. It really does kind of look like a like a weather map. The top, oh, I've got, co- so the top
3: quarter ones. of Dana's arm is. My black wife and takes blue.
5: pictures of them because I'm thinking of
0: making art out of them. I
5: mean, I think they're <laughs> very, very cool. You
3: should start an Instagram page of just bruises.
5: Well, because they're kind of artsy, right? There's green and purple. And... Do they hurt, or is it no, just no? Not at all. I could do the tiniest bump that you know. Um, but anyway, you feel good in general, though. I feel fantastic. I would – I'm incredibly fit. I would challenge any comedian, literally any comedian, um, to try to hike with me up in Griffith Park. Rogan. From the bottom to the top. Oh, I would. Oh, he wouldn't have a chance. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't fight him, but I would dominate him so bad on on the hills just because yeah. I'm a lightweight. You're like, you know? yeah, that's right. You can scale. Yeah, it doesn't your mean. No, I don't want to make J- Rogan mad. But he, he <laughs> could. Smash. K- he could kill me with it.
0: With uh He's such big, a sweetheart, though. He would never kill. You. He's a sweetheart. Oh, I know. I I, uh, know. Uh, uh, I hope you do a podcast. We should also uh, mention Secret Life of Pets, uh, which is the uh, the movie. That, did Louis write Secret Life of Pets? No, I don't think so. No, no. He's in it, though.
5: Yeah. Yeah, Louie's in it. Yeah, Chris Melodondri who produced a movie called Opportunity Knocks, a horrible yep. movie. I that remember I Opportunity Knocks. Oh, of course I remember Opportunity Knocks. Uh, way, way too much fighting. <laughs> and, you know. But a few things snuck in. But that was... Um, anyway, Chris Melodondri produced that, so he always wanted to do animation with me. When I was up there, I was just on the road and doing the kid thing a lot, so I turned down Ratatouille, which was, was kind of a mistake, because Pixar is brilliant, Man. but I... I went over also, and I met close. with him, and it was, it was a French rat right during the Gulf, uh, the Bush War. I saw a French rat, really, you know. I thought this isn't going to work, you know. And then it ended up brilliant. Like, Were you
0: bothered by that when the movie came out and it did really well? Were you like, oh fuck, or do you go, you know, well, I did what I did. I made no, the choice. No, you know, made. because I truly think
5: Patton Oswalt uh, would was would be better at it. Like I'm good, like if I do a voice, but my voice is so neutral. He like has a cool voice, right. so I thought he was great. I didn't really feel bad. I turned down Madagascar so when this one came around he goes well I'd like you to do one of the dogs I was like okay yes I'll do it <laughs> you know and then he always loved the grumpy old man character it was kind of a Lionel Barrymore he used to do on yeah. SNL yeah. you know Kirk and Smigel wrote it you know just one of these guys you know
4: I don't know what you're saying you know what are we doing here that guy
5: so we played around with a few voices and then that became the character so the, the dog is paralyzed and has wheels for you know yeah, and he's you know just the, the sweet lovable grumpy grumpy old dog
0: yeah. What is the what is the release date of Secret Life of Pets?
5: It is July eighth. July eighth. <laughs> From after Illumination,
3: you,
0: great company.
5: After celebrating America, you can go out and see Secret I've Life I've never Pets. been in a movie like this because even Wayne's World didn't promote like this. Like everyone I mentioned, oh yeah, Secret Life of Pets. I've never been in something that has like a three hundred billboards everywhere and everything everywhere. I mean, it's saturation, so it's kind of cool. It is, I think and, it's and, funny. and
0: also you just it is kind of funny that you. I think when you when you've been in the business for a very long time. I think the takeaway is like yeah you don't ever know. You don't ever know what's going to hit, what's not going to hit. I mean, where you must have worked on stuff before you're like this one's going to be and then it didn't you're like oh I guess not and then and then the opposite experience.
5: Um n- never really happened to me. I I except Wayne's World being a b- big success shocked me. But every other movie, I mean, when I was doing Trapped in Paradise, I went to the dailies and uh well oh it's 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 over. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I did In many movies, Clean Slate too. I went, oh okay, it's a disaster, <laughs> and then I would look at the brain trust. There would be these three people that, and they were
0: bent over laughing, and went, oh, we're it's over, we're done. Now, did you did you take away anything from that? Like, oh, should I not? Should I listen to different people, or did you like- trust my instincts?
5: Yeah. I basically just stopped. I, at a certain point, I just stopped. I had a lot of other. Things and I kind of went the other way. Like Bad Boys was supposed to be for me and Lovitz. Yeah. And I had a $3 million payer play. You know, Katzenberg had given me $500,000, but I gave it back when I saw the script because I thought, well, this won't work for me because they wanted to make me into Will Smith. They were going to add two inches to my chest. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to put me in a weight machine and make me the stud. So that one, Hans and Franz, the girly man dilemma was another one that once Arnold dropped out, that one kind of went away. Yeah. Tucson was a comedy western I wrote, wrote with Bob and Kirk. I just kind of stopped because I always had stand up. You know, it was too torturous to do when you knew that the sensibility was not matching. But when I did the show with Louie and Smigel, uh, that was just fun, except for that it you only made eight episodes because <laughs> I was with the A-team and we had all the same sensibility. But if you're doing anything with well-intended bright people but if you just aren't on the same page, it's very painful. Yeah. You know, very painful.
0: You know? Well, I, I hope, number one, uh, we, we should talk after the podcast so we can – because if you guys are in the side of town you're in, you should come to Meltdown. Which is an amazing place to. I
5: was there once on Dan Harmon invited. Harmon Town, over. Did you do Harmon Town.
0: I did, yeah. Nice, yeah, yeah. But it's a great, it's a great room for stand up, and especially with your, if your kids are doing, like, it's just a good, it's just a good room. Well, it was with- amazing. That that's like
5: a that that's like a rock and roll because they were so close and the ceilings are so low. Yeah. It's all
0: that compression, like it's intimacy. There's nowhere for the energy to go.
5: Yeah, and it makes everyone focus. That's why I don't yeah. understand
0: arena comics. I mean, I understand Steve Martin. I mean his style of comedy and that blew up in the 70s when yeah. when that was still but when people now like want to do arenas I really don't get it because it's such an Didn't intimate... Kevin Hart just do a football stadium? Kevin Hart sold out um it was like 55,000 Atlanta, right? In it, I thought it was
5: in, uh, it in Massachusetts. Play. I heard, I don't know yeah. if it's true that he's playing Nebraska.
0: He's playing the whole state. <laughs> yeah, the
5: yeah. state. The he's whole state. He's got a platform. Sold it out. He sold it Sold clean. out the state. Yeah, he's f- going to play. Sold out the state. One, <laughs> one night only.
3: Right. Yeah, he's releasing it as a movie. He's releasing Can't it as a hard. movie. Oh, he is?
0: You, oh, did you know about this. Nice, nice, nice. You know, whoever wants to do that
5: is fine. You know, I, but it's just but, it's so like if you're if you're
0: fifty rows back, like comedy is so intimate. At that point, it's really just let's go see a famous guy, or let's go see a famous lady because you you're you're just yeah. t- a person's tiny on stage and there's no. I feel like you need an audience to be able to. I think three thousand is about the number where the audience starts to fall apart into sections. Any bigger than that. And then it's just like, okay, the Loge liked that one. Okay, this one. Yeah,
5: it's it depends on your style. I mean, for me, I'm just very uh, sensitive to what I think the audience is feeling and enjoying. And when I feel like I can't feel what – I just have to kind of turn myself on in a way, like yeah. to sort of excite myself. Um, and But that's when I went around with the kids. Like I said, I realized, wow, I really like a tight, hot 300-seat club is – that's really fun. Punchline. But a big room is a lot of work. Yeah, the punchline's great. Yeah, yeah, they're just right there. So, but the bigger you get, you know, how do you like, well, here's $3,200, Mr. Gaffigan, or we can pay you $500,000 for,
4: <laughs> well, I like the little room better. Well, you so know, that's so what <laughs> Chappelle does.
0: Chappelle will just do like, He'll just go to the punchline and just do like a week, you know, and just sell out two, three shows at a time. And it's super – it's a pretty ama- – like that's a really fun – The the,
5: the image of, of Chappelle, when you think of him, you think he just does exactly what he wants to do yeah. any given second. I don't know if it's true or not. I've met him a few times. Uh, but that is a great place to be. And I think that uh, for me being a variety performer, you can get trapped up in a lot of things. You know, if, um, when you're sort of – moldable. If you're a singular brand, like say John Lovitz, just a style and a rhythm, you plug it in. And when you're a variety performer and kind of a moosh-faced, Irish looking guy, you know, it's like, hey, should we make him the nice guy? Or is he going to do a character? Or what is he going to do? So it's led to a lot of confusion. Uh, So anyway, my thing now is just to be authentic is the word of the day. Yes. And do what I want to do. I am enjoying it for the most part. And, you know, really which is so profoundly emotional for me is watching my kids go through the struggle <laughs> and when they do well. And all the cynicism was just beaten out of me when they were just doing push ups and When you walk into the club with them, it's like it's like the land of Oz like it was for us. And you see from their point of view. And then at the improv they come back and they go, Who's going on first? You know, would you like any music? (laughs) Everything is tightening them up and go, guys, do laps around the parking lot, you know. The show's about to begin. Are you guys ready? And I see it from their point of view. It's this magic adrenaline fueled thing. And so I got back in touch with that by being being around them. Oh, that's but,
0: awesome! I'm glad to hear that.
5: But mostly, I'm just when a joke lands for them or they're excited. That just
0: I don't know. I just that's really really intense for me right and now. And if they have a bad set and they come off stage, you can just scooch away from them in the booth just to let. Well, I've, be
5: seen, I've seen yeah, <laughs> them. I've seen I've <laughs> seen them start to unravel and um, getting heckled and it's getting a little tense and I, I just have to leave you because it's your kid yeah yeah. I can't stay. I
3: can't stay in the room. Yeah. Because you want to, you know, the person they, who they, you know, they want to leave, too.
5: <laughs> they want to leave, too. But then the taskman. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, you can't even go on stage, you little shit. God damn it, you big dummy. You just do a joke. God damn it. It's a funny character, isn't it? It's, it's a, a funny character. It's a funny rhythm, and it's coming totally from him. Uh, by the way, uh, I was going to ask you, did you grow up in San Mateo? Uh, San Carlos.
0: Okay. My, my dad my, taught at San Mateo High School. My right? dad was from San Mateo. Really? And wow. No one talks about San Mateo. San Mateo. So my dad was a... My dad... Everyone's tired of hearing this, but you didn't haven't heard it yet. My dad was one of the greatest professional bowlers in the history of the sport, and he grew up bowling at Bel Mateo Bowl. Wow.
5: Well, I've definitely been there. I, assumed you, I assumed you had been, wow. so I just didn't... What's the best
0: score you've ever bowled? Me? Yeah. Uh, 289. 289? But I was 11. And then I quit bowling when I was 13. And then I kind of started again a few years ago, but... Yeah. yeah, I grew up in a bowling center. Like my life was growing up in a bowling really? center. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so I bowled every day of my the first thirteen years of my life. Did you
5: have like incredibly strong legs or back or something? Just, it seems <laughs> like a mutant. very just some kind of lopsided. You know what I did have though? Arm, I had this kind of like
0: weirdly developed muscle that right right here from from hooking yeah. the yeah from hooking the ball. Yep, that's what wow. That is. That's
5: interesting. So your dad was a professional bowler. Yeah, did yeah. he? come home and throw things around and rate. I mean, it seems like such a <laughs> you know 9-1 split. I mean, was he was he on the
0: road every second then? He was on the road a lot, and it's kind of funny when mm-hmm. I'm on the road oh. as a comic, how I'm like, accidentally mirroring his life. Like, when he was still alive, I'd be in a town, and I'd be like, hey, I'm in Phoenix, and there's a bowling center here. Do you know this boy? Yeah, you know, in 68, uh, I went through there, and we bowled, and we got really drunk and drove into a cactus. Like, he had a story for every... Bowling center, so I kind of wow. had this weird parallel life of being on the road. Like it interesting,
5: was. yeah. I was just thinking about being a pro. I mean, the tension of that. I remember watching it on ABC Wild World of Sports. Yeah, just very tense. seventh frame. So that's where you got your fearlessness from. I don't know. Yeah. I think
0: I just. I think a lot of it came from the my dad. Uh, my dad's dad was kind of a tyrant, and uh, he just left home at like seventeen to percent My his his father was kind of the same, like. He would say the same kind of things, you know. My dad would go, oh, I'm going to open a bowling center. What are you doing that for? You're too stupid to run a business. It was like a lot of that. Lot of- oh,
5: yeah. I was always the underdog. And my I was my mom's favorite. She called me precious. My dad <laughs> couldn't stand me. And I was just the littlest kid in class. And. You know, just very shy. So, yeah, Revenge of the
0: Nerds. Right? Revenge of the Nerds, yeah. And then you get yeah. to sort through that stuff for the rest of your life. It's kind of fun.
5: I know. Everyone has a therapist. I don't know whether yeah. to go to Conan's or uh, <laughs> or Bob Saget's. I get <laughs> recommendations.
0: Um, I feel like Saget would have... It, Saget's really... He's he's got that one on lockdown. Like he's just like, oh, I got Saget from noon to eight. <laughs> you can come in. And, uh, and I and I say that I adore Saget. He's one of the sweetest, oh, yeah, nicest,
5: yeah, yeah. most is, wonderful, is, loyal people the in the sweetest. world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, well, this is really cool. I like the way you guys do this. Well, like thanks. it because I like the way it didn't start. Doesn't you know? start. You, know, and you say, know Now why? we're talking. I was not introduced. It doesn't it, end either. The reason you don't. Yeah, we're here for. And now you Monday. edit till midnight. <laughs>
0: the reason. The reason that I don't is because. I think people who are used to being interviewed, when they hear it's starting, the shields go up and they're in a mode.
5: You're totally right. But most people aren't that smart. (laughs) That's just simple math.
0: And I would rather just have people very relaxed and they're kind of open before they realize what's happening. And then it's not like, we are starting the thing. That's why I don't ever have video in here either because I don't want people to feel like I have to perform. Well, I mean,
5: for me, I mean, this has been really fun and really relaxing. But, yeah, I'd have to come back again to be totally relaxed because my mind is absorbing so much information. Yeah. Yeah. I'm observing so much things about this room that's very stimulating. Asperger's kind of. You're welcome to come back. Um, (laughs) And so then you know it's kind of like then you you know it's it's just like stand up. I mean, the more you do it, the more you get out of your own headspace. I would love you guys did it great because it was
0: very easy. I would love to just now that we're oh we have to say enjoy your burrito. We end the podcast. We say Secret Life of Pets July eighth. July eighth is a film called Secret Life of
5: Pets. Better than finding Dory. Better than finding... Because everyone's thinking about it. So long, Zootopia. Farewell, finding Dory. I hope you'll find her. We're on our way to a billion dollars. Is this times the animals talking as the dogs? Yes. They're, yeah, they're like humans. That's why it's so funny. They can talk and run and maybe drive a car. <laughs> Sorry. I don't even know where that comes from. The demented
0: that's the guy. That's the guy who's just explaining what all the CG animated films well, are he's, about. Just, he's
5: just better than everybody. <laughs> it's almost back to fe- Feminine Hitler. Um, we uh, we anyway. end the
0: podcast by saying enjoy your burrito, which is just a oh. sort of mantra that says enjoy the present. Would you mind saying it for us? Would you sign enjoy, it
5: for- Enjoy. Oh, What you got to do, man? You got a burrito. <laughs> you got to have it. You got to eat it. It's that way you do, man. It's that way you do. Huh? Enjoy the burrito. Okay.
1: No murder, no suicide, <laughs> and best of all, there is no cost to join us in Pura. We promised to keep you safe. They killed her. You took everything. In a world that doesn't feel so safe <laughs> anymore, we're waiting for you here in Pura.
3: The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last me? City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now ad-free on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at Wondery.com slash Plus.